Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back to This is America. I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden in New York City. The president just spoke from the White House giving the Corona Task Force briefing. And we're going to get to those sound bites in a second. But I want to share with you something that I heard on my way here. I was, you know, prepping, looking at my phone, looking through some articles in, in the New York Post and the Daily News. And I saw something on Twitter of our favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And AOC, all out crazy, was making a margarita. If that wasn't bad enough, because I mean, hey, everybody's making something, right? That's not what's the issue here. The issue here is that right now we are about to hit the apex of a global pandemic. And right now, New York City is the hottest of all hotspots. People are dying literally left and right. And it's a damn shame. And yet, being the leader that she is, Congresswoman AOC decides, let me stay home and make a margarita. But it's not just that she wants to stay home and make a margarita. She also wants to criticize the politicians for not doing enough. Listen to this. And we need to be really blowing up our elected officials' offices um, and demanding relief because they want to continue to get away with doing far too little. And this, in this moment, there's no such thing as doing too much. I mean, honestly, have you ever had a point in your life where... The federal government did too much for you, where they gave you too much. Never happened to me. I've never seen that in my life. Um, I never had too many scholarships. You know, I, we never had too many people uh, that got relief. Puerto Rico never got too much aid. Um, but anyways, I digress. I'm sure Repo- there are plenty of Republicans that are of that opinion. Um, okay, so we got... Two ounces of lime juice, just putting that in here. Um, but um, two ounces of lime juice. All right, so now we're going to add the lime juice. Listen, there's so much in that little soundbite. I'm not going to play it again, but we're going to break it down. She says, hmm, there's probably some Republicans or that or that. The federal government hasn't, has there ever been a point in time where the federal government's done too much for you? Since when is it the federal government's job to do anything for any of us other than provide a military and some basic safety, security, maybe some bridges, that type of thing? Yeah, I'm one of those. I'm one of those that believes I'm supposed to do me for me. I'm supposed to do me for my family. I'm supposed to do me for my community. Not so that AOC could put money in my pocket because I got here's a little secret. She's never put a dollar in any of our pockets. AOC all out crazy is just that. 
all out crazy from from the from the beginning of this little segment to the end. She's on Instagram saying, well, you know, the politicians don't do enough. We should be blowing up our legislators offices. We should be doing this. We should be doing that. And she's there putting an ounce of lime, two ounces of lime, one part this, two parts that, a little tequila, a little that. Come on, por favor. That's out of control. Congresswoman AOC, every week I say she comes to a new low. It's like it's going lower and lower and lower. I get dumbfounded. I really do at looking at what she's doing because she sits there and I guess she's connecting with her quote unquote constituents in the Bronx and Queens that no doubt are losing family members, are losing neighbors and her words of reassurance. You got to put two ounces of lime. You have got to be kidding me. Her and her buddy Bolshevik Bill de Blasio are both a disgrace. Now, of course, AOC and Bolshevik Bill de Blasio would love to have a police state, to have the federal government leading the charge on everything the way they're kind of doing it in the Philippines. Right now in the Philippines, you've got the president of the Philippines saying that he's giving the authorities, the police, the okay to shoot violators of the coronavirus lockdown order that he's issued. Yep, you heard that right. The president of the Philippines, who's probably a secret hero of Bolshevik Bill and all-out crazy AOC, is saying, yeah, the police can shoot people for violating the curfew and the lockdown order. Shoot them dead. That's insane. But that's what these guys want, big government control. Hell no, not for me. First of all, I say, how are they going to pull it off? I don't know how they would pull it off because every day when I leave here, WABC, we're 17 floors above Madison Square Garden right here in midtown Manhattan. I walk down to the Port Authority to take public transportation in and out of Jersey. I live in northern New Jersey. I'm walking and I saw these police cars on both sides of the road. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, ah, well, you know, they've been there for the last three, four days. These uh, Ford Expedition police cruisers, NYPD. And you never, the cops really don't ever get out. They're just inside doing whatever they do. They got the lights going on, and I guess it's just presence. But all of a sudden, I hear some banging, you know, like. And I'm like, what, what's that banging sound? And I see there's a dude like a black and white jacket on, and he's like banging the metal shutters as he's walking down 8th Avenue of the different shops that are there. And hitting the windows and things like that. And then he pulls up on the police car and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, like from the bottom of his diaphragm. He's yelling, F you, F the police, all this stuff. I can't even understand half of it. I can't make it out because it's just he's just yelling, screaming obscenities. Obviously, this is an emotionally disturbed person and he's going buck wild. Now, what's interesting is that there was one police SUV there and then another one pulls right up next to it. And they're like talking through the window while this guy is there screaming and shouting and ranting and raving. And I think to myself, I wonder what they're going to do, how they're going to respond to this. So I hear, hey, back it up, beat it, beat it, get out of here on their loudspeaker over that walkie talkie in the car. And the guy's still there, and he's he's going nuts, banging things. He's hitting everything. And I'm like, what what is the story here? So, you know, I'm looking, and I'm like, you know, maybe I should take a video. <laughs> but things are moving so quickly. So, again, the guy tells him, move back, sir. Move back. Get out of here. Disperse. Leave the area. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't know what's going to happen here. But let's see. Ultimately, this guy says, you know what? F you. He walks away, throws his hands up in despair. He starts marching away. Only to, to walk another block 
where there's some scaffolding along 8th Avenue. At the end of that block, there's another police cruiser, another Ford Expedition police car there. So along the way, I guess somebody left out like a steel or aluminum hand truck, like for deliveries. And he grabs the hand truck now and he's banging it against every one of the the metal gates on 8th Avenue. And bang, bang, bang. That's all you see is this guy banging the, the things. He probably broke a window or two along the way. And I'm thinking... These cops, he's in my view, so he's clearly in plain view of them as well. And they can see exactly what's going on. But nobody makes a move. And there's another third police car, again, like I said, 1,500 feet, 1,000 feet ahead. So he gets to that police car, and I'm thinking, what's he going to do? He takes the hand truck. There's a pizzeria on on the uh, corner of 39th and 8th. He throws the hand truck at the pizzeria, which is open. They're doing, like, counter service through the window. None of the cops ever get out. And he starts yelling at that cop and F you and F this. But he's so tired from his earlier rant with the other cop that he gives up faster than he would have uh, uh, than he did, I should say, in the other situation, throws the, the hand truck on the floor and just walks away. And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell did I just watch? People that were walking by were like running away from him because they were so scared. He was harassing passersby up in the cop's face. They didn't get out of the car. And I'm thinking to myself, look, I have a a family that's in law enforcement, NYPD. So always a big shout to the NYPD. Uh, Much respect. Uh, I volunteered for the uh, police auxiliary when I lived in uh, Nutley, New Jersey. And I went to the police academy, albeit an abbreviated one. I went to the Essex County Police Academy uh, and learned a few things about use of force and things like that. So I'm thinking to myself, why not use verbal judo? Why, why, why is this happening? <laughs> and I came to the conclusion that, you know what? These guys have to go home at night and they want to be alive and they don't want to be sick. And when you have a crazy person, and it doesn't mean they get a pass on doing their jobs. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that when you know that 800 of your brothers in blue, 20% of the police force or whatever the number is, is out sick and you're in that in that car and you're about to get out and do what you believe is right and arrest this guy only to have your desk sergeant say give him a desk appearance ticket because he's going through a revolving door because the mayor and the politicians don't want to keep that guy in jail with no cash bail put him right back on the street so you just tackled him to the ground cuffed him nearly got yourself coronavirus god forbid and this guy in five and a half hours three and a half hours is right back out on the street doing it again You tell me what human is going to feel motivated to do that. Nobody, the mayor, the governor, and all of the politicians have handcuffed our police. And it's hurting them. And it doesn't stop with the police. I'm looking at the uh, New York Post headline. EMTs and medics defy deadly FDNY order to not wear N95 masks. So the chief is telling the EMTs, that are on the ambulance, saving people's lives, not to wear a mask when they respond to calls, but to only wear it if there's a, um, like a ventilator, not a ventilator, like a respirator. What's the word I'm looking for? Like a nebulizer being used where there, there's medicine gets spraying in the air and there's like an aerosolized treatment. Otherwise, they shouldn't wear it. And they're arguing. And the, the nursing staff and the hospitals, everybody's fighting over these N95 masks. And I think to myself, man, this is messed up. But this is the headline, or the lead, I should say. The FDNY ordered EMTs and paramedics to wear protective masks 
only when doing aerosol generating procedures. The EMS union, Local 2507, President Oren Barzale wrote in a letter to the fire commissioner, Daniel Nigro, and this was sent to the Post. Such procedures such as placing a breathing tube in a patient's throat, treating cardiac cases, and giving certain meds to asthmatic patients can release small particles containing the virus into the air. Now, these are the, the procedures that they're worried about. It says, if our members complied with this order, they would not wear masks at the scene when airborne pathogens could lead to illness and possibly death. Noting that first responders don't always know the conditions at the situations when they respond. I totally agree. They don't know what they're going into. These guys are heroes. They're hired to go and save lives. Firemen run into burning buildings. Cop run at the bullets. The cops run into trouble. But the policies that the politicians are putting on people here in New York City are handcuffing the heroes. That is insane. Let's go to Charlie. Charlie, you're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Rich, how you doing? Hello, my brother. What's up? Not much. I just got out of the hospital on Thursday. Well, thank God you're okay. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. I got uh, sick about uh, two weeks ago. I was, uh, you know... Sick with a cold, uh, sick with the flu, sick with COVID-19. I I was sick with COVID-19, it turns out. Wow. I had a fever. I was achy. I was very lethargic. Didn't even want to hold my head up. Always wanted to lay down and had no appetite. So that was uh, uh, Thursday, the, um, like the, the Thursday the 19th. So that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It's all the same. I was on the couch, just laying there. And then Monday night, I was going up and back down to the bathroom for my living room, and I started getting shortness of breath. So Tuesday, my wife told me to go to the urgent care. I went there. They said, you've got to go to the emergency room. I said, I don't want to go to the emergency room. So they gave me a chest x-ray right there, and they said I had bilateral pneumonia. Wow. So they, called, they called EMS, really competent EMS guys. They took me over to New York Presbyterian Queens, what most people in Queens still know as Booth Memorial Hospital. And they got me in there, and um, I was uh, tested that night for the uh, COVID-19. And uh, the next night, on uh, Wednesday night at 10 o'clock, they said I came back positive. And then within an hour, they put me on the Trump treatment. Wow. Before you get into the Trump treatment, and of course, you're referring to hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. When they told you that you were positive for COVID-19, what was going through your mind? Well, I kind of figured I was already because, you know, when I had these symptoms and the symptoms seemed to line up to what I was hearing about. And when I was at uh, urgent care, they gave me a flu test right there. You know, part of their, I think there's part of their trying to get me in the hospital, which worked very well because saying that I had pneumonia and that I didn't have flu, so I better get there, you know. So I kind of expected it to come back positive. And my so friend, now you're in my, Queens, you're at the urgent care and they tell you, you need to go to the ER. What's your yeah. next step? My next step when I was at the urgent care, they, they, I said, I don't want to go to the ER. So they, they gave me a chest x-ray immediately. And within 10 minutes, they came back and said, you have bilateral pneumonia. And they gave me a flu test right when I was there and said, you don't have flu. Now, was so, this at the urgent care or at the hospital? I, I was at the urgent care. And I, that, was, that was very convincing data for me to go to the hospital. Okay. So where did you end up going? At New York Presbyterian Queens. That's uh, what we used to call Booth Memorial here in Queens. So now, what was your experience like going to the emergency room in Queens? Obviously, okay. this is one of the hottest spots in the city. Yeah, Walk us through it. Hot zones. So the EMS took me into the EMS entrance, and the, bed, the, the stretches were backed up right to the door. 
So they bring me in there. But these EMS guys were good. They went, they were aggressive, and they, they talked to the person there, made sure they had all my information. And I was there. Then I got moved up from, like, the vestibule into the hallway a little bit, which was nice. And then about an hour in the emergency room there, they, they said, we're transferring you to a different part of the hospital. So they transferred me to, like, some kind of makeshift emergency room. I don't know what, what kind of room it was, but it wasn't a regular emergency room. It wasn't even, like... Regular. What did it look like? They had a different partition set up, like six feet apart partition, and they had easy chairs. It's the kind of easy chair, I remember when my wife was pregnant, we were in the hospital. Yeah, days. like a lazy boy. They had these lazy boy chairs for the fathers to sit in while the, while the wife had suffered was sitting there watching TV, you know. So it was <laughs> that kind of chair. And I thought it was great. I said, okay, this is good. I thought, you know, and they came up right away. They tested me. They uh, put a IV in me. They uh, did all my vitals. And uh, I was there about an hour and a half, I think, and they said, you're getting admitted. Wow, so pretty speedy. Yeah, pretty speedy. And this is not normal for the thing. But now when they admitted you, they took me up to a floor. And this floor looked like to me what was it uh, used to be, an, which is an ICU, which they changed over. And they just had a bunch of patients waiting to get a room. So they had these little little alcoves with two beds in it. Mm-hmm. And I luckily got in one of those because in the hallway there, there were beds on both sides of the hallway, people waiting for rooms. So you're saying the hallway was busy, the hospital was busy, because I looked at some video from ABC News yeah. earlier today, and it sh- showed Mount Sinai Hospital with patients in the hospital. So when I got, I got the treatment, I got the Trump treatment, and uh, they gave me the uh, hydroxychloroquine, and I was talking to my friend Adam, my uh, partner with CouponSurfer.com, and he said, make sure you get the Zithromax too, because it's more effective. And I said, I think I took Zithromax already, but I asked him, and they said, no, you're getting both the hydroxychloroquine and the Zithromax. Wow. Those are the facts that lie ahead of us. And speaking of facts... We always want to give a mention to JustFacts.com, our policy partners, JustFacts.com, F-A-C-T-S.com, JustFacts.com, slash rich is the link where you can go and get signed up for the Just Facts newsletter. I highly recommend it, especially in times like this. I recently took a look at the Just Facts policy paper that they put out on the coronavirus, and it's called Vital Facts About COVID-19. And it's a multi-page document that has lots of facts, primary source data that they're getting straight from the actual source. So that's why it's primary sourced. (laughs) And to me, that's key because they're not taking the information and then spinning it and putting a different uh, perspective on it. They're just giving you that raw data right from the source. So be sure to check them out. Justfacts.com, F-A-C-T-S, justfacts.com slash rich. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to This Is America. I'm Rich Valdez. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America. Welcome back. Do you want to get at me on Twitter? I'm at Rich Valdez with an S. If you want to get at me on Facebook, I think I'm at the same thing. And we're talking about lots of things, all things coronavirus. But right now, we have some audio from the president's press conference, which is still going on. But I want to give you the the front end of it, where he talked about what's going on in New York, how states are, some states are asking for more than they need, how the administration's moving heaven and earth to build these backup hospitals. 
and how we have to get our country open for business again. So listen to President Trump from his White House Corona Task Force briefing. Check this out. It's very understandable that officials would seek to get the most they can get for their communities. But the fears of the shortages have led to inflated requests. We have some states and areas where they're just asking for far more. I mean, look, we had one state asking for 40,000 ventilators. 40,000. Think of it. 40,000. It's not possible. Uh, They won't need that many. And now they're admitting they don't need that many. But uh, we're getting as many as we can to them. Uh, Again, nobody's ever seen anything like this in terms of ventilators, in terms of protective equipment and uh, uniforms and outfits. But it makes it more difficult for distributors to prioritize the real need. And it could intentionally and, you know, look, they they have everybody has proper intentions, but they want to make sure they're 100 percent. And sometimes when they know they don't need it, they want it anyway. The president's laying it out very simply. Look, people want more than they can. They're panicking. Guys like Bolshevik Bill de Blasio, they're like, oh, send me everything you got. Because right now, New York City is the only thing that matters to Bolshevik Bill and him not looking bad and leaving this legacy behind him of being a frazzled, fearful leader who's full of it, by the way. But there's others out there that are doing the same thing. And President Trump is reminding them that the administration is building these backup hospitals. Check this out. It gives them that extra feeling of satisfaction, but we just can't do that. It's not even possible to think about it. And that's why, and we're a backup. Remember, we're a backup. We're, we're the greatest backup that ever existed for the states, especially when we start getting into the hospital building business and getting into the medical center building business. When you see we built many hospitals, numerous hospitals in some states and medical centers. That's why my administration's been requesting actual usage numbers directly from the states and hospitals to meet their needs because we want to be ready when when the brunt of it comes, which is coming quickly. You see it. You see it as sure as you can see it. And when the brunt of it comes, we want to be ready to hit the area that needs it. We don't want to have spent everything in one area and they don't need it there. It's anywhere near the ex- extent. So let me be extremely clear about one point. We will move heaven and earth to safeguard our great American citizens. We will move heaven and earth to safeguard our American citizens. And this is why I hand to the forehead salute the commander in chief, President Trump, because he is really making it happen. I watch him every single day, just like I watch Bolshevik Bill fall apart and look like a little girl on TV. Then you've got, uh, I had given him a new nickname, right? Last name Dejo, first name Penn, Penn Dejo, right? But then there's the governor of New York, which gives a daily briefing as well at around 11 a.m., And honestly, it's turned into like story time with Andy Cuomo. That's kind of what it's like, the Andy Cuomo podcast. He's, you know, when I was a kid, my father, my father used to tell me this. Oh, my brother Chris and this. He doesn't even sound like a governor. It just sounds like a podcast of a guy to tell stories about himself and what he does. And it's kind of like a memoir, like an audio book, if you will. But I digress. The, the real story here is President Trump showing this leadership and reminding the American people and those that think like all out crazy AOC that, yes, the government's job is to be the backup to the states. 
the federal response is not the primary response, just like it wasn't the primary response in Puerto Rico or anywhere else. The governor of each state or territory has a responsibility to their citizens. Local mayors have responsibilities to their citizens, to their constituents. And nobody should let these suckers get a pass. Nobody. Why would you? Why would you let somebody off the hook just because you don't like Trump and you want to make him the bad guy? It just doesn't work that way. People like AOC, they've got it twisted. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about the ship that's offering hope in New York Harbor. There are people trying to get medical services at the comfort. And last week, President Trump said that he brought it ahead of schedule and under budget, like the Trumpster loves to do. He brought in a 70,000 ton ship of hope. This great ship behind me is a 70,000 ton message of hope and solidarity to the incredible people of New York, a place I know very well, a place I love. We're here for you, we're fighting for you, and we are with you all the way, and we always will be. You have the unwavering support of the entire nation, the entire government, and the entire American people. And a message of hope is there. It has arrived. The president has done what he said he was going to do, and he continues to be here for New York because he's a New Yorker, and more so because he's the president and he's keeping his word. Now, Governor Cuomo requested, hmm, we need more beds. All the hospitals are becoming overrun. Our ICUs are spilling out into our ERs. All we have is COVID-19 patients. We can't help anybody else. We have these capacity issues. Bolshevik Bill de Blasio saying the same thing. So what do we do? So they set up, they say, you know what? We need to set up a place where we can have a, a, a field hospital Uh, Can FEMA help with that? Sure, you betcha. They set it up. The Department of Health and Human Services is connected with FEMA, with the state of New York. And what do they do? They clear out the Javits Center, the Jacob Javits Convention Center, right here in Midtown Manhattan. They clear it out. That's where Hillary Clinton was standing to say that she had shattered the the glass ceiling in November 2016, only to run away because she lost and didn't even come out and say, hey, sorry, my bad, I lost. Good luck to the Trumpster. Nope, none of that. But they emptied out this building. And what did we have? They said, well, we're going to help the overflow. Everybody that's sick that doesn't have COVID-19, we're going to supply them. That quickly changed. Oh, we're going to make it more COVID, more COVID. So now the Javits Center is filled with coronavirus. Okay, well, the comfort is going to be that last bastion of hope where people who don't have COVID-19 can go and get medical services. Wrong. That, too, has been compromised. So now multiple patients infected with coronavirus were transferred to the hospital ship from the Javits Center. And this is according to what several U.S. officials are telling Fox News as of, I don't know, maybe two hours ago. They came in yesterday, but they're confirming it today. Now, there's about a dozen people that were transferred from from the hospital to the from the Javits Center hospital to the ship. But only a handful of them were apparently uh, testing positive or have tested positive for the coronavirus. So how they're going to mitigate this, I don't know. I know that the whole plan was to have a place where you could provide medical services to people that needed that support. And now we don't have that. So we've got coronavirus in every hospital, coronavirus at the Javits Center, and coronavirus aboard the ship. I don't know a whole lot about that. 
So if you do, let me know because this is interesting. I know that MRSA, which is a superbug, not quite a virus, is considered to be one of those things that once it's in a hospital, it's like impossible to get rid of. And they just basically tell you, hey, it's here and we're going to do what we can to make sure you don't get it. And that's the part that I believe is, is challenging here. How do they solve this? How do we move forward? Can we? Is it something that's even avoidable? You know, the bottom line here is that the comfort has infection control, and I'm reading from the statement, the comfort has infection control procedures that are followed just like hospitals ashore. The medical experts on board are well prepared for cases like this, and they've taken the appropriate and precautionary measures, so patients are isolated. They receive care on the ship while working to transfer these patients as soon as possible back to the Javits Federal Medical Station which is treating COVID-19 patients. So it looks like they're going to try and get them off the ship to keep this ship as that last safe bastion of non-COVID-19 hope. And I hope that it doesn't ruin the entire or entirety of the ship, as I um, better said, excuse me. So right now, both hospital ships, the Comfort in New York and the Mercy in Los Angeles, do not take COVID-19 patients. But Pentagon leaders are quote-unquote, reassessing the policy that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Army General Mark Milley, told Fox News, and that's according to Harris Faulkner as of yesterday. So right now they're saying they don't have an imminent decision yet to on what they're going to do, but this stuff continues to mess people up. And it's, it's confusing to try to keep up with this. So thank you for tuning in right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, I wanted to start the hour and each segment with this, but I forgot, but... I'm going to give it to you now. So, so far, globally, there's last week it was something like 139,000 people that were recovering from the coronavirus. As of 4.09 p.m. today, 245,949 people have recovered from coronavirus worldwide. And 14,505 people right here in the United States have recovered. So kudos to them. We thank God for all of that. Now, I want to get into something that is always near and dear to my heart, being of Puerto Rican heritage. I love to talk about what's going on with bodegas in New York. And we are going to get into that, but I want to give you the phone number one more time, 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-WABC. And last week I did a podcast and you could um, – Hear what I was talking about. One of the stories I spoke about was Bacardi, Bacardi, famous rum company. Bacardi, Cuban family started Bacardi and brought it to Puerto Rico. And it's a huge rum manufacturer in Puerto Rico and is available in many liquor stores and bodegas throughout the boroughs. Now, speaking of bodegas, there is an interesting new app that's out there. Now, this app is called, bear with me, My Bodega Online. And it's different from Grubhub or Uber Eats and other third-party services because it doesn't take a commission from the bodegas. It basically just charges you like 50 cents per transaction, which is very minuscule in comparison to the 15 or 30% that the other apps like you know Grubhub and Uber Eats charge. And you can get bodega stuff. So yes, if you need some toilet paper, you can go on your My Bodega Online app and order some toilet paper, which I think is pretty cool. Bodegas have been the lifeline of a lot of neighborhoods here in the city because they didn't close down. They might have put something in their doorway. They might have opened up something that's very popular in bodegas. And this is something I was sharing with somebody the other day. They're saying, uh, you know, companies are adapting 
And I'm thinking, you know, you know who did that first? Bodegas and Chinese food restaurants. There are so many bodegas that you can walk into at 2.47 in the morning to buy just about anything that you want at a bodega. And you just roll up to the bulletproof glass. And you ask for what you want. They slide it through the little bulletproof glass container that's there. And this is a staple in New York City, right? Same thing with Chinese food restaurants in different parts of the city. You know, like there was a place called Kum Cow that was right outside of Marcy Projects in Brooklyn. And they had, you know, the, the bulletproof glass set up and you would order your wings or whatever. And that was normal because they were in rough neighborhoods and that's how it worked. So this idea of putting plexiglass or bulletproof glass is very commonplace. But now we're seeing it in 7-Eleven. Now we're seeing it at different stores. I mean, I went to Dwayne Reed the other day to buy trail mix of all things. And while I was buying trail mix at Dwayne Reed, I saw them installing these plexiglass dividers so that people have a, a barrier, you know, between them and the customer as they're paying for their items and whatnot. So what I think is interesting is bodegas are trailblazers, right? They're paving the way with bulletproof glass and so many other things. And earlier during the week, Curtis Leo loves to bust my stones on the air. And he was like, oh, Richie Valdez isn't here today. He's not here today because he's uh, tending to his Joker poker machines in the back of the bodega. And um, big shout out to Curtis Leo. I love Curtis because he's funny. But he's actually sharing a story that I shared with him that I learned about when my dad passed away. And it was an interesting story. Because I found out from uh, an older brother of mine that when I was, uh, when he was a kid, and he's older than me, that he was with my dad one day, and my dad got pulled over. And the cop said, uh, hey, did you know you're not allowed to drive with an open six-pack next to you, sir? <laughs> and my dad looks at the guy, and the cop says, oh, Juan, lets him go. And my brother was like, I wonder why he let dad go. He said, anyway, we went to Rafi's Bodega, and we went to the back room, and when we got to the back room, there were all these gambling machines back there. And minutes later, this cop walks in and took off his gun belt and, like, hung it up on a coat rack and took his hat off, and he just started playing in the, the domino game that was going on, and he was friends with Dad. And he's like, and that's when I put two and two together, and I figured out Dad had something to do with this back room card game Joker poker machine deal at Rafi's Bodega on Nostrand Avenue back in the day. So I was like, wow, I never would have thought that. I knew my dad liked La Bolita. He liked to play the numbers a little bit. Didn't know he was running the game. So big shout out to the old man. May he rest in peace. He's not around anymore. But that was just a little personal story for you that I thought was interesting. Now, another thing that I think is interesting with bodegas is while I was walking on 8th Avenue yesterday... I saw panels of plywood covering sections of the window on the Duane Reed on 33rd and 8th Avenue. And I was puzzled because I was like, I didn't see any broken glass. Apparently, some of the big box stores are either repairing and covering up broken glass, but some of them are just bracing for what they think is going to be some lawlessness that might be coming. And that's an interesting thing, and we can get into that in a, in a different episode, a different show. But... My thought initially is this. If you've got cops that aren't getting out of their police car when crazy people are throwing hand trucks on 8th Avenue because they don't have enough backup because 20% of the force is out sick, what is it that the bodeguero, the shopkeeper, is supposed to do? Your guess is as good as mine. But I would probably start with a Remington, 12-gauge, probably the safest way to protect your family, your property, all of that. 
Of course, licensure is important and background checks. Of course, I support all of that. But 12-gauge shoddy to your body is, I think, the way to go. Like I always say, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And the only thing that's necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. So be safe. We're all going to get through this together. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.